Today's Bible is Romans 6, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And second passage is about 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Yeah, so there's a change in your bulletin in the lineup. Um, I'm not Wes. Cheryl, yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, tested positive for COVID. And so she is home, um, feeling a little bit under the weather, not horrible. And so with Wes being close proximity, he's separate from her, but uh, yeah, he's not here because of, of that proximity scenario. So I'm pinch hitting for him. Um, and the title, Will You Walk? His way, Christ's way. From uh, the BibleStudyTools.com website, uh, and this would have been March 13, 2021, there was a title of a, an article that said, uh, it was titled, What is the Upside Down Nature of the Kingdom of God? Uh, written by Ed Jarrett uh, from Sylvan Way Baptist Church out in Bremerton, Washington, so way out west. And he wrote this. So the Jewish people who returned from Babylonian exile looked forward to the restoration of a Jewish kingdom. They expected a world-dominating kingdom with a descendant of David on the throne and Jerusalem as its capital. But centuries had gone by, and they had been under the control of one world empire after another. They had to have been wondering if the promised kingdom would ever come. But then Jesus came proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God and it raised the hopes of many people. Was the kingdom they had looked for, had the kingdom they had looked forward to at hand? Was it here? Would Jesus lead a rebellion that would overthrow the Romans and establish a Jewish kingdom? That's what they were looking forward to. And, and in the article, Jarrett then continues to point out and explain how Jesus' teaching differed from what the Jews were anticipating. The Jews were anticipating this worldly kingdom. But Jesus' teaching was about a new kind of life, a new way of living. And as was written or as in the scripture, not written in ink, but with a living spirit of God. Not written on stone tablets, 
but on the hearts of believers. So Jesus' teaching was about the old covenant being fulfilled and a new covenant being taught and lived out. And some of the comments in the article referred to being a suffering servant, winning by dying, the least being the greatest, God's power perfected in weakness. And so what, whatever was previously understood and considered was being turned completely upside down. And even Jesus talked about being born again, which just made no sense whatsoever as, as we walk in the path of Jesus, being born again, a new life. So the, the, the question that is listed as the, the title, Will You Walk His Way? I've got three sub-questions related to that. What does it mean to walk like Jesus? What contrast is there in walking in the old way? And what does it mean to walk to the end? So with those three questions, the first one, what does it mean to walk like Jesus? Um, I, I ran across a blog from Tracy Brewer, uh, who's a wife and mother of two college-age daughters. And the article that uh, I looked at and, and, looked, and, and I'm going to kind of expand upon was titled, Five Ways to Walk Like Jesus. So I'm going to use her title, but uh, some of the scripture and just expand very quickly. So five ways to walk like Jesus. Number one, Jesus had compassion. In Mark 14, 14, we read, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And one thing I had to think about is, as Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he probably knew that the crowd was filled of people that had made mistakes in their life. And some of the mistakes that they've made in their life may be ramifications of those mistakes were coming to fruition in illness, sickness, whatever they were being troubled with. But I don't envision Jesus requiring them to jump through hoops as they showed compassion and as he healed them. He healed. In John 8, 11, we read of Jesus' response to the woman caught in adultery. Remember, she was brought in, ready to be stoned. And as the pr crowd prepared to stone her, Jesus looked around, admonished all of those who would be perfect, cast the first stone. And when everybody had left, Jesus turned to her and said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. But it was with compassion. There was truth, but there was compassion that filled Jesus' heart. Second, Jesus sought to do the Father's will at all times. Uh, John 6.38 records Jesus saying this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The Father's will. In Luke 22, 41-42, uh, we remember Jesus agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Even in the middle of agony. Father, it's your will. So do we pray that God's will is revealed to us? And then are we ready to respond to that call? Seeking God's will. At all times. 
even a challenging time. Third, Jesus interacted with people that others avoided. Uh, Luke 15 reports Jesus eating with publicans and sinners. Matthew 20 reports of blind men being rebuked by the crowd to be quiet. Don't bother him. And Jesus stopped and he healed them. Jesus prayed the sinful woman who washed his feet with perfume. Zacchaeus was invited down from the tree and Jesus ate with him. Now, Jesus never participated in whatever the sin may be for those that he was ministering to, but he ministered to everyone in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their brokenness. And it's real easy for us to look at some of those stories and say, yeah, that was a broken individual, that was a broken individual, and we overlook our brokenness. Jesus ministers to us in the middle of our brokenness, our pride, whatever we may be struggling with, we're broken as well. Fourth, Jesus was humble and he served others. Uh, in John 13, 5, Jesus gave a you know, beautiful example of this where it says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus came as a servant, washing his disciples' feet. What, what, what an awesome example. Um, disciples were shocked, saying, get up, what are you doing? That's not what a king does. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Paul points to Jesus' example as well. Said, Paul writes this, in your, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And I have to think back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus struggled through having that body that we suffer with and encounter pain. But he sought the Father's will. He was humble and he served the Father. He served others. And lastly, Jesus prayed often. The Gospels record Jesus praying at least 38 times. And I saw a reference to 25 different times. So there would have been some commonalities between the different Gospels. Jesus prayed while he was separate from others in the mountain. Found a quiet time, quiet place away. He prayed during nighttime. He prayed a blessing before meals. He prayed for general healing. He prayed for specific healing. He prayed for strength. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for his enemies while he was on the cross. He was in regular conversation with his heavenly father, just as we should be, praying continually. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 15, 17 famously encourages. Pray continually. Be in a mindset of prayer. So each of these five items in Brewer's List provide an example of how we should pattern our life and our walk 
after Jesus. So I'll, you know, list those quickly. Jesus had compassion. Jesus sought to do the Father's will. Jesus interacted with people that others avoided. Jesus was humble and served others. And Jesus prayed often. The second sub-question. What contrast is there to walking in the old way? If we're walking a new way, a new direction, how does that compare to the old way? And, and the old way had to do with keeping the Mosaic law, following the commandments, sacrificing animals for payment of sin, living a pure life within community, within family, within self, based on that law. And those weren't bad things, but those things were going to be changing. There was going to be a level that was going to be upped. But even back in the Old Testament, uh, Jeremiah 31 Verses 31 through 33 foretold of this new direction that God was preparing. So I'll read these. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. There's a personalness to that whole process. The, the main focus of the message that was coming is there's a different kingdom. So for the Jews that were anticipating an earthly kingdom with soldiers and, and ways to combat the Romans. No. A different kingdom in play where the law was written on our hearts. A kingdom that is over and above any of the concerns for this world. Salvation through the death and resurrection of our Messiah. Again, that would make no sense, but that's what the new kingdom was going to be. Victory over death with the resurrection. In John 18, 36, we see Jesus' response to, uh, to Pilate uh, concerning his own people, Jesus' own people having turned Jesus over to Pilate. Because Pilate made a conversation or a comment about that. He said, your, your own people turned you over to me. And Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Not of this world, from another place. And that's, that, that was foreign in its thinking. The only world that we know is what we can see, what we can touch. That's our physical world. So what other world is there? What other things are important? That, that can be a challenge to consider. And earlier... Jesus had instructed how his disciples should conduct themselves, where their focus should be. And it wasn't a matter of earthly riches. But again, beyond this world. Mark 8, 34 through 36. Jesus taught this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit 
their soul. So during Jesus' ministry on earth, his disciples were in the middle of relearning what was important to living a godly life. They knew the law. They knew the old covenant. They knew the books of the Old Testament, the teachings. But they needed to relearn with a different focus. In Matthew 5, 38 through 45, and the Sermon of the Mount, here's a bit of what Jesus taught. In contrast, he said, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy, or I'm sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So Jesus' disciples were hearing that firsthand. That, that was new, that was different. And so they had different muscles that they needed to start exercising, or at least muscles that were going to be exercised in a little bit different way. Again, they knew the Old Testament law. Here's now a different way of approaching your life. And, and I, I kind of look at that process of using muscles differently in comparison to somebody who's gone through surgery or suffered an injury and what you do with rehab. Um, our, our daughter Natalie tore her ACL in high school and following surgery she went through months of rehab to regain strength but also regain trust in her new knee structure. And Natalie's not the only one. I know of a number of others who have been in this congregation, kids that have gone through that same struggle. Regaining strength, but also regaining trust in a new way of doing something. Individuals that suffer brain trauma may experience memory lapses, but the brain finds new ways to connect, new ways to allow functioning to occur. Individuals involved in major accidents who have major surgeries go through years of rehab, sometimes to learn and relearn how to walk, how to function. Three years ago, I experienced a bit of a relearning of sorts as myself. I'm, I'm right-handed. I'm right-footed, dominant right-handed. Um, for basketball and baseball, with, with the skills required, yeah, I can dribble left-handed, I can shoot left-handed, but I'm right-handed. You've got to use both in some of those sports, but I'm right-handed dominant. And so if I needed to do something, strength-wise, coordination-wise, it's right-handed. Until 2019 when I had my second neck surgery to relieve some pain, and relieve some loss of strength. Now I do more things left-handed. And one of the things that I, I had to change was my disc golf game, which is, I mean, completely insignificant in its necessity, but I changed 
Now, a, a weird thing about this is when I throw a backhand right-handed, I can do that about the same as what I had always been able to do before. But when I go to putt, and for those of you that never played disc golf, here's a quick lesson. Putting is done with your body squared up more and it's more of a push. And for whatever reason, the muscles that were affected that required surgery back here, those muscles that do this are all messed up. They were pinched, they were weakened. And so when I got done with surgery and went back out on the disc course to go play, when I went to putt right-handed, it was no good. I didn't have the strength, I didn't have control, I didn't have coordination. So I had to do something different, left hand. Because for whatever reason, my left hand, the muscles, weren't affected the same way that my right hand and my right arm was. Okay, so I had to relearn. Now, again, I'm right-handed, I'm not left-handed. And so when I went to start putting left-handed, it was awkward, clumsy, it was bad. But I had the muscle strength in my left hand that I didn't have in my right. And it was simply going to be a matter of time, practice, repetition, that I was confident I can do this. And I got better. And I've gotten better. I'm a better putter left-handed than I had been right-handed. Partly because I probably put in more time to overcompensate with making that left hand stronger. The other thing that I've been able to do left-handed now is I can throw mid-range left-handed that I had never considered and never tried to do before. You make adjustments. You relearn. And we do that all the time. We do that all the time. God calls us to make changes. And those changes may be challenging at first, but through repetition, through trust, we can actually be stronger, more faithful with that new process of doing something than we were originally. So in the same way that we, we, I've been referring to this physically, in our walk with Jesus, are we willing to learn or relearn something that God has laid on my heart? Now, with my right hand and left hand, one thing that I'm also doing now, if I have to do anything fine-tune, I don't do it right-handed anymore. I have to do it left-handed. So it, it bleeds into other aspects of our life. Am I willing to flex muscles that God has given me that initially may be uncoordinated, may be clumsy, reaching out to a neighbor, reaching out to somebody in need. And I may be thinking, yeah, God, this isn't my forte. I'm not gifted in this area. Well, you don't need to be gifted to simply show that you care and show compassion. So are we willing to reach out? Are we willing to learn as we walk with Jesus? That newness of life can occur in small ways. And those can grow into bigger ways as we get more comfortable, more adept at whatever those may be. Finally, the third sub-question. What does it mean to walk 
to the end. Other phrases that are similar to that. Seeing something through. Finish strong. Stay the course. Plug away. But, but the one word that I keep coming back to that covers all of those, I think, is, is this word of persevere. Persevere is more than just plugging away and putting in time. Persevering is your whole body, your whole being going into the effort. So if we ask ourselves, you know, the first two sub-questions, am I committed to walk as Jesus walked? And I'm hopefully, hoping we're saying yes. Am I committed to following a new covenant, a new direction? And I'm hoping we're ready to say yes. But then there are times when we get discouraged. There are struggles. There are challenges that come up. We're going to be tempted. We're going to become tired and weak. We're going to become discouraged. And we will fail. But here's the beautiful thing about this walk. It's not the old walk where we're measured and compared to the law. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. There's grace. There is a perfect and holy father who's watching over us and lifting us and supporting us to get up and go again, to make a commitment toward that perfect life, toward that perfect walk. But we're not alone. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul writes, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. We're not called to walk perfectly but we are called to walk faithfully. We are called to persevere. For my years coaching baseball and basketball, um, I never expected perfect execution from any of my players. But what I did want was perfect effort, a perfect trust in the team and the goals of the team and a willingness to attempt to work our way through challenges as they were definitely going to arise. I get a daily resource email from LifeWay, and LifeWay is the publisher for our gospel project that we've used and the current Explore the Bible Sunday School curriculum. And just this past Thursday, there was an email that I got with this, and in that, there was an article written by Mark Croston, who's the National Director for Black Church Ministries at LifeWay Christian Resources. And I want to read a paragraph from that article. And and in this article, he was writing it mainly to encourage pastors. But I think it fits everybody. As we walk faithfully, I, I think this is beneficial to hear Jesus. And here's what um, Mark says about Jesus. He says, we are not better than Jesus, nor could we ever be better. But by his grace, what we can be is like him. We can be like Jesus who was hungry, Mark eleven twelve. 12. Needed rest, Matthew eight twenty four. Retreated for prayer, 
Matthew 14, 23. Got angry. John 2, 15 through 17. Chided the lack of faith of his followers. Matthew 8, 26. Was frustrated by the anemic progress of his disciples. Mark 6, 52. Lamented the sinfulness of his generation. Mark 9, 19. Was troubled by the impotence of the spiritual leaders of his day. Matthew 23, 13. And had to deal with the difficulties of discipleship. In John 6, 70. And whether it's as a leader in a pastorship role or you're working with your classmates, your neighbors. I mean, we all have weaknesses. We all have struggles. And we can recognize those things that happen to others and we can also recognize some of these things that happen within ourselves. Some of the most frustrating things for me is when I recognize my own weakness. Because I'm not supposed to be weak. I'm not supposed to make mistakes. Oh yeah, I do. So we are all there. But Jesus understands how and when we become discouraged with life. He, he understands that. He understands that this walk of faith is not easy. There's times when this walk of faith feels like it's just uphill the whole way. But I hope we have confidence that we are not alone. Philippians 1.6, Paul encourages with these words. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the Great Commission in Matthew 28 ends with this promise from God. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Walking in a new manner requires a commitment. Breaking molds to learn or relearn something God is calling us to. Takes time. Takes energy. And there will be bumps along the way. But are we willing to walk in God's way? You are not alone. I am not alone. We are not alone. And I'm not just talking about community here within the congregation. We are not alone because we have a loving Savior who is supporting us. Isaiah 40, 29, God promises. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Walk in newness of life. I want to read um, lyrics to a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, this was a song that was released in 1996, so it's 25 years old. That just amazes me when I keep thinking. 1996 wasn't too long ago. Yeah, 25 years ago. Um, the song is called The Walk. And so I'm, I'm not going to read it in the normal order that it would be sung. There, there's some... Uh, choruses that would have been you know kind of thrown in the way but here here'd be the verses and the chorus at the end again the title is the walk i've got a grandpa rudd he gave 30 years to the lumberyard loving his family and working hard he's got a faith like a solid rock he's just doing the walk i've got a friend named larry he sends me letters from a foreign land he moved there with his kids and his pretty wife, Mary, to answer the holy call. He's doing the walk. There's a man I know. He said he'd come to show us the way. He died on a cross 
and he rose from the grave. He proved he was more than talk. He taught us the walk. And now I'm singing my songs or I'm preaching my sermon or you are doing your work. You are visiting your neighbor. Put any, anything in here. But for, for Stephen Curtis Chapman, I'm singing my songs. That's where he's at. So place yourself wherever you are at. I'm singing my song, standing up on a big, big, bright stage, and I do my dance while the music plays, but when the music stops, am I doing the walk? Because you can run with the big dogs, you can fly with the eagles, you can jump through all the hoops and climb the ladder to the top, you can do whatever you want in this world to gain the fame and the glory for this world. But when it all comes down, you know it all comes down to this. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So as a body of believers, we're called to do the walk. As individuals, we're called to to do the walk. And for anyone that exercises regularly, it's a whole lot easier if you've got somebody to exercise with you because there are some days you don't feel like doing it yourself. And the walk of faith is no different. The walk of faith is done best within a community to challenge, support, encourage one another. Do justly love mercy, walk humbly with our God together in faith.